season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. to the JKR podcast today we have North Carolina native Canes alumni and outfielder and first baseman in the Houston Astros organization we got Ryan Clifford on the JKR podcast for the Canes baseball series Ryan super pumped to get you on the show man how are you doing today I'm doing well I appreciate you guys having me hey of course you know I know you know you're about to get that season rolling spring training is coming down to an end but before we dig into you know your whole baseball career kind of where you're at now I got one question I like to ask everybody that gets on the JKR podcast, and that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Ryan Clifford? Yeah, um, you know, I go by Cliff. That's kind of kind of my go-to nickname. Um, you know, but you introduced me really well. I went through uh, played with the Canes for a long time during summer ball. Um, I got drafted by the Houston Astros uh, in the eleventh round, and. Um, you know, like you said, looking ready to get started on uh, my first full professional season. Okay. So, you know, before you got drafted by the Houston Astros there in the 2022 MB draft, you were a Vandy commit. So let's kind of dig into that here to get started. Kind of take us through that recruiting process. You know, how did that kind of get rolling? And when was it that coaches kind of started reaching out? Uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of in that group of, um, I feel like kind of that time zone where kids started committing really early. So, um, I had the opportunity to do that, um, you know, right around that freshman year, sophomore year. Um, you know, guys have been reaching out. I've been talking to some schools and then me personally, I didn't I didn't want to go down that same road of committing early and, um, you know, something say something happens down the road where that uh, that commitment is lost or whatnot. So I held off until um, you know, roughly mid junior year, um, opened up conversation and then. You know, for me, it was between Vanderbilt and UNC. Those are kind of my top two. Um, and then, you know, for me, Vanderbilt was kind of a spot that I wanted to go. You know, they have a great history, um, great coaching staff, and, you know, overall are just a, a great program. So uh, that was how my decision was made for Vanderbilt. Okay. So deciding between, you know, an in-state school there and UNC, Vanderbilt, who I'm sure is probably, what, like four or five hours away from you. As you were going through talking to all these different schools, you know, what were some of those key things that you were looking for, you know, with a coaching, within a coaching staff, within a college and just a program in general? Uh, for me, it was definitely, I wanted to have a, just a competitive school somewhere that I knew that was going to, um, you know, always be competitive and going to be in the look for a national championship. I wanted a, a, a coaching staff that was going to push me to, to be my best as well as teammates that were going to compete for spots and it wasn't going to be given to me. Um, I knew Vanderbilt has, you know, a great process that they go through. And um, obviously the, their facilities are top notch. They're going to help their players get better on and off the field. Um, you know, and obviously UNC is the same way. So uh, it was, it was a tough decision for me, but um, Vanderbilt ended up on top. Okay. So this, at this point, you know, last year, still a Vanderbilt commit, not sure, you know, what's going to go on here these next three or four months, you know, kind of take us through last spring, just in terms of what that looked like, you know, maybe talking to some scouts, playing in front of those guys and just take us through your whole last spring. Yeah. Last spring was, it was a fun one. It was my last year with pro five. Um, but kind of like you said, I, I had a lot of conversation with some scouts, went through kind of that, that, process that some draft guys go through had a bunch of them at the games for me you know it was it's still baseball I'm still gonna go out there and play my best and it's definitely nice knowing that you know if, if it doesn't work out this year that I can go to Vanderbilt and I can and be a draft eligible sophomore and junior year whatever so I didn't feel like there was a ton of pressure on me I knew you know I wanted to go play pro ball but I knew that um, wasn't going to stress myself out over who's in the stands because all that matters is, is who's on the mound and, you know, playing defense behind my pitchers and, and trying to win games. So um, I'd say it, it was more fun than stressful for me, for sure. So being a guy that, you know, was going through that whole that whole draft process, when was it that scouts kind of started reaching out? You know, maybe they made that transition from – 
that 21 draft to 22 where they're starting to focus more on you. When did those first, you know, initial conversations happen with some of those area scouts? Uh, so yeah, I know the, the process has changed a little bit just because of how late the draft is before it used to be, uh, they'd only focus on that one certain draft class at the same time. Now with how late it is, they almost have to, to focus on two classes at the same time, obviously with, with more focus on w which one's coming up closer. So I'd say, you know, once the, the 21 draft ended, that was when they'd start coming to games and, and watching some fall, fall stuff. And then, you know, they, they'd sprinkle in here and there during our off-season workouts and, and practices and stuff. And then once that season came around, um, or sorry, that, that winter met with a lot of uh, area scouts, some in-home visits, some Zoom, Zoom meetings. And then once the spring came around, it was just kind of go out there and play, and they're going to come watch and say what's up. You can develop a little bit of a relationship with them. Sometimes you would talk to <clears throat> some of the – the bosses, so to speak, some guys that are higher up, some directors and um, cross checkers and whatnot. And then, yeah, just go out there and play. They'll come watch you and, um, you know, hopefully everything works out. Okay. So the, in that off season, in the, the winter of, you know, 21, December, January, whatever, you know, what does that kind of look like just in terms of those in-home meetings? You know, what are some things, like how long do those usually last in? What are some, you know, maybe key things they're trying to get out of you? What are some key questions they're, they're kind of talking about? when they're having those in-home meetings? Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of them are the, the base of the meetings are the same. They, you know, they come into your home. They're not more than, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and a half in that, in that time zone, time range. Sometimes um, they'll have like a slight test. So I did a couple like eye tests, a couple reaction-based tests, nothing too serious. Um, but then as far as questions go, it's a lot of, of approach-based stuff, a lot of mental side stuff, kind of asking what you think at the play, what's your what's your approach when it comes to your swing and how do you plan to get better? They want they want someone who already has a plan. They don't want someone who's kind of just clueless when it comes to play to developing and getting better. They want someone who kind of knows what they want to work at. Um, you know, so I, I kind of tell them what I was working on when I wanted to the point I wanted to get to. And then, you know, sometimes they'd ask about you know, how badly did you want to play pro ball? How badly do you want to go to college? You're trying to get a grasp on uh, where you're truly at. Um, yeah, but I mean, a lot of the questions were the same. There was nothing that I ever felt too uncomfortable answering in these meetings. So I definitely think that, you know, I tried to bulk them up, do as many as I could in a day just to kind of get them over with. Um, but, you know, they were, they were repetitive, but um, definitely, definitely good to kind of develop that relationship with teams early. Okay, so with you talk about relationships, you know, with that whole process going on, you know, 10, 11 months or so, what are some of those relationships you're building with the area scouts? And how long is it until maybe some cross checkers or maybe some regional guys are starting to come your way and start talking to you? Uh, as far as that time frame goes, I guess it kind of just depends on a team's interest. Uh, I'm not really sure kind of who all came. Sometimes, you know, I didn't have direct conversations with them, but um it also depends on you know how, how close are these cross checkers are they eight hours away or are they 30 minutes away happen to live in the same place as an area scout so um you know I, I never really was focusing on who's in the stands and worried about you know who's here and um and all that stuff so but as far as the relationship goes I think you know they they want to have someone who's a mature you know especially out of high school you got you got to show that you're mature and and can handle pro ball so having good conversation with them and, and a good first first impression, excuse me, um, is really important. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, what their, their check boxes are and, and what they're looking for. But for me, I just wanted to, to, you know, kind of show that I knew what I was getting myself into and that I could handle it. Okay. So you say, you know, for you, you know, it didn't really matter, you know, who was in that stands watching you, you were just going to play your game, not really focus on, you know, oh, this scout here, this cross checkers here watching me play. How did that whole mindset develop, develop and when did that whole mindset, you know, come into play? Uh, I think it kind of goes along with, with maturity. You're never really playing for, you know, who's there to watch. You, you have been playing this game growing up your whole life and it's always been about you versus the other team. So I just kind of keep that same mentality. I'm not there to try to prove myself to them. <clears throat> you know, they wouldn't be there if they didn't know who I was. So I thought, you know, 
I didn't need to to try and do more than I had been doing my whole life. Just go out there and, and play the same game that I've been playing um, my whole life, and and things will work out that the the way that they're meant to work out. Okay, you know, so with that draft being so late, you know, All Star Weekend, I think it's what like July fifteenth to the twentieth or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens in between? You know, your last game there at Pro Five, there I'm sure probably May or June to July, kind of that dead period. You know, what's kind of going on there? Does the does this all the scouts you know coming at you ramp up even more? What does that kind of look like? Um, as far as that whole process goes, I think we had our last game. It was like All Star game. We played in Atlanta. Um, it was late May, I believe. So we had a solid month or two in between. Uh, I can't remember exactly when the combine was, but I went out to the combine. And then I, so I played in the coastal plain league. I was just, I'm sitting around at home bored, don't really have anything to do. So, uh, luckily I was able to go play for the Holly Springs Salamanders and the coastal plain leagues to kind of get reps. I know some guys just take the time off and, and work out. For me, I just I didn't want to go into my first pro ball season or first college season not having seen live pitching for two months. Yeah. So that was kind of the reasoning behind that decision for me. Um, and yeah, I'm glad I did it. it. It definitely helped seeing some getting getting some at bats before rolling into West Palm Beach. Okay, so with so with that draft combine, you know, I believe that was what first or second combine that, that Major League Baseball put on. What was that event like? Did you go and do all the different events that they were doing, or were you more just there meeting with team? Because I know some players kind of didn't take part in the actual physical stuff and was just there for the meetings. Yeah, so I, I talked to my agent about it, um, and we just went through and said the best stuff to do would be the medical portion and then meet with teams. I didn't do any baseball stuff uh, during that time, so – um, it was good to kind of get the medical stuff. There's, there's some benefits to it as far as if you agree to something and you get drafted and then you, your medical doesn't go through, you're you know, guaranteed a certain amount of, or a certain percentage of slot compared to if you don't go. So there's benefits to do with medical. You're going to have to do it anyways. Um, you know, so that's definitely someone, <clears throat> a talk you would have to have with your agent before you decided to go and do that. Um, and then we, we found that it would be best for me to just do the meetings and medical portion. Okay. So the draft comes up, you know, mid July, take us through that whole week, you know, what's your mindset going into it? What does that kind of look like there the week of the MLB draft? <clears throat> yeah, I, for me, it was all excitement. I wasn't really worried, <clears throat> obviously knowing that I had a fallback plan and Vanderbilt. So, um, just, it was really cool to see a bunch of teammates get to go and, um, some guys go really high up. I think, you know, four of the top five picks or whatever, four of the top six something picks were all part of that Team USA 18U team that I was on. So it was really cool to see, you know, a lot of close friends, dreams come true. And then, um, you know, saw the first two days go by, hadn't really heard much. And then after the second day, talked with Houston and we were able to come to an agreement and uh, I'm thankful it happened. And day three rolls around and, and, you know, my name's called. So it was a really great experience. And I was glad to be able to have my family and friends there for it. Okay. So take us through that whole draft story. I'm sure, you know, you probably knew a little bit ahead of time that the Astros were going to take you, but when you find out the Astros are taking you, you know, what's that feeling that kind of goes through, kind of take us through that whole, you know, timing period of, you know, you being drafted by the Houston Astros. Yeah. So after, after the second day ended, um, you know, talking through with my agent and, uh, and stuff like that. I knew that Houston was going to come with their best offer and we were going to, you know, find out if that was going to be enough. And then later that day, you know, we heard the number. And, and for me, that was, that was uh, it was in my range and I was, I was definitely going to take it at that point. So, um, you know, just kind of, uh, I feel like there was, you know, a little bit of tension and some, and some breaths being held. So it was definitely nice to, to be able to kind of relax and know that tomorrow was going to be the day. And then, you know, from there, it was just, you know, pure joy and happiness and excitement. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm glad that everyone's able to be there and, um, you know, it's just, it's a really great memory I'll have for the rest of my life. I'm sure you know, you have that great memory, but then it's right back to work days after the draft. How long is it until you're in Houston, you know, taking BP there in the midfield, uh, you know, signing that contract and heading down to Florida. What did those next couple of weeks look like? Yeah. So for me, right after the draft, it was, uh, I had a couple of days at home. I was 
in a weird kind of situation where I had to wait for uh, the first 10 rounds to sign before I would go down there and sign. So um, I had a slight delay, me and my roommate, Andrew Taylor, for the upcoming Florida trip. So uh, we signed the same day, got to watch the game. I was fortunate enough to be able to take BP with the team that day. Um, in Houston, it was a great experience to kind of get to meet the whole squad and, and talk to Dusty and, um, you know, just kind of pick some brains and <clears throat> understand, you know, what their routine looks like and uh, just know that I could try to learn some things and, and, and put it into my game as well. So I uh, went down to West Palm after that, and then it was just kind of time to get to work from there. Um, you know, had some early mornings, and, and obviously in Florida there's a lot of great weather, and sometimes it could be kind of crappy with rain. So battling through some of that um, played in some complex league games for a little bit. <clears throat> At this point, all of my draft class pretty much had gone to, to low A in Fayetteville. So uh, I was down there solo with a lot of the other guys that had already been there uh, play, I think 13 games there before the season had ended. And then I went up to Fayetteville and was kind of reunited with that, <clears throat> with that draft class. Okay, so while you're playing those complex league games, what does that day-to-day look like? You know, you're in Florida going, you know, playing up against a lot of guys who I'm sure are probably other draftees from that class. You know, what does that competition level look like there at the complex league and just that day-to-day there in general? Uh, it's it's a lot of long days, I'd say, um, especially with the weather being so hot. So most of the FCL at that time was – it's a heavy Latin American-based group. So uh, – you know, trying to learn as much Spanish as I could during that time was it was a challenge. Um, but then as far as the competition, I mean, it's a it's a lot of toolsy guys, a lot of guys that throw hard who might not have quite the control yet. That's why they're, they're down there working on it. Um, you know, a lot of hitters who might have a lot of power and some swing and miss. So sometimes the games would drag on a little bit with the walks and hit by pitches and stuff. Um <laughs> We only played seven innings most of the time, except for a couple of days where we played nine. And then, but yeah, I mean, overall days, you know, spent a lot of the time at the complex um, and get to know a decent amount of, you know, who's, who's been down there and some coaches as well. Okay. So being there in that complex league where a lot of the guys there, you know, are tools, like you said, making that jump to Fayetteville, low A, what was that just difference kind of the comparison between complex league, Low A there in Fayetteville and just, you know, what that experience was like, you know, just the last couple of weeks of the season there in Low A. Yeah, I'd say the jump, biggest jump was you go from playing day games to night games with the crowd. I mean, you kind of were playing with no one there. Energy was kind of low sometimes um, to playing some night games in Fayetteville with with decent crowds. And, um, you know, I think the, the biggest jump was obviously with the pitching and whatnot. There's a lot of guys – obviously with some stuff, um, but then just kind of more control. So you were usually got more guys around the zone. Um, but yeah, as far as, uh, far as it goes, I mean, the, the rules were different as well. You had the pitch clock and bases and shift rules. So that was pretty interesting and fun to play with and kind of test out before now, obviously they're implemented into uh, the big leagues as well. So, um, but obviously it was, it was a great experience for me. And I think that was, really helpful for me to be able to play in low way and kind of understand what it was going to be like um, in an affili- affiliated ball prior to going into the off season and getting ready for this year's uh, first full season. Okay. So, you know, everyone talks about that pitch clock, you know, that's going on this spring training, everyone kind of making a big deal about it. With you kind of being one of those guinea pigs there the last couple of weeks of the season last year, mm-hmm. what kind of adjustments did you make just to get used to that pitch clock as a, as a hitter? Yeah, for me, I didn't, I don't ever really have a huge routine in between pitches. I think the biggest thing is going to uh, be for hitters to pick up their third base coach earlier and for signs to not be as long in order to not make a violation. Uh, I never had any violations. I never had any trouble with it. I think, you know, the biggest thing is that with it being now tested in the big leagues is that they're super uh, almost jumpy to start the clock. So I think, you know, sometimes versus in, in low A, the guy might get the ball, the pitcher might get the ball back on the mound and there might be two seconds before the clock starts versus right now in spring training, they're enforcing these rules really hard just to get guys accustomed to it to where 
the clock zone was starting is the ball's hitting his glove. Um, so I'm sure it feels a little bit fast paced now. Hopefully, you know, I think there's been a lot of complaints and, and violations. So hopefully it kind of relaxes just a little bit once the season starts. For me as a player, I think it's a it's a really good tool. Like I, I don't have any problem with it. I think it's it it'll help guys not have to just stand on their feet in the outfield for four hours a day versus you got two and a half hours, you go play, like get the get the job done. Um, keep the line moving and then you're on to the next day, you get back to the apartment and, and go to bed versus, you know, staying up late, having long games and, and being on your feet so long. Yeah. So the, the season last year comes to an end, your, your first, you know, kind of half pro season there. And do you head back to Florida? You go back to North Carolina, you know, what does that look like, you know, after that low A season comes to an end? Yeah. So we had a uh, instructs with, with Houston. <clears throat> it was only, it was less than two weeks, so we kind of went back to Florida. Uh, I think it was mostly the low A, high A teams. Uh, we go back to Florida, have instructs. Really, that's just a couple extra weeks to kind of to get some work in as far as defensive stuff goes, get some hitting stuff done. And the biggest thing is just know what you want to work on in the offseason and to be able to work on it a little bit with some coaches to kind of understand how you want to train for it. So for me, I mean, swing-wise, I knew what I wanted to work on, was able to take it into the offseason, and then defensively knew, you know, kind of what drills or, or how I was going to approach on-field BP and how I was going to approach uh, – sorry, how I was going to approach shagging um, just to get become a better outfielder and, um, you know, on the hitting side as well, just become a better hitter. Okay, so with those instructs, was that – were you were there games attached to that as well? Was it more like the complex league and then you know going through talking with coaches, talking about that development, or how did that yeah, instructs was all was all in the organization, so we didn't have like any outside games. Um, there were some times where pitchers would throw live at bats or pitchers would throw um, in a you know simulated scrimmage. So we would have times where a pitcher would throw two innings, a pitcher would throw two innings in our team. And then it would be like a coach pitch scrimmage almost. So just to kind of work on defense and base running and, and get some some more swings in as well. Okay. So looking at your first, you know, half pro season there, its entirety, what are some of those just favorite memories that come to mind? Just you're like, man, you're looking around, you're like, shoot, I mean, I'm I'm playing with some pro guys right now. You know, I'm, I'm actually a pro ball player. Dreams are, you know, somewhat coming true. You know, just take mm -hmm. us through a couple of those memories. Yeah, no, I know uh... – us in Fayetteville, we had a really good last week to kind of end the season on. Um, I know we threw a combined no-hitter one game. We had a walk-off win from, I think it was, it was Garrett McGowan hit a walk-off double. Um, and then the last day of the year, I hit my first homer, ended up being the only three runs we scored that game. So um, I think the boys were really hot, and it was really cool to, to be able to come together towards the end and go on a little bit of a streak and and – just to be able to play in front of whatever four or five thousand fans a night was it was really a cool experience. Yeah. You have any cool experiences there with fans, like you know, fans asking for your autograph or you know, maybe yelling your name. Uh just what some of those fan experiences. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always gonna be some interaction and some experiences with autographs and whatnot. Um, it's really cool to be able to see kids kind of come up and and know that I was once in that position myself, um, and just to understand how they feel about it and that I'm, you know, sometimes we're the ones that they're looking up to now is, is really special. Okay. So I got a two-parter question here for you. So, you know, going from, you know, pro five ball there, going through the draft, becoming a pro baseball player, you know, what were some of those key adjustments that you had to make? And then for guys, you know, going apart, being a part of this 2023 MLB draft, what is that advice you have for those guys who are making that jump from high school ball to becoming, you know, an actual professional baseball player? Yeah, for me, I think you got to understand the game's just going to continue to speed up. Guys are going to throw harder. They're going to have more movement and later movement. So as far as, you know, the hitting side goes, you're going to have to make adjustments with uh, kind of the length of your swing. You want to be always be short. Um, the more that the longer that you can see the ball, the better. So where you can make a decision just a little bit later um, and then it'll help you, you know, spit on pitches that are balls or, um, you know, be able to react, react to certain pitches. Um, that are strikes and then you know as far as it goes for you know the next class um, I think you just you want to enjoy every moment it kind of flies by I looked at I look back now and you know it felt like a super long off season for me it was four or five months where 
I wasn't really working out with a certain, you know, a team in pro ball. I, I went back and, and worked out with pro five almost every day. And, and during those days, it felt really long. And I look back now and I'm like, the end of our season last year was not that long ago. You know, it, it flies by. So just to kind of savor and enjoy every moment um, that you have at home, especially with family. And then, um, you know, I don't know much yet, obviously, but it's going to be a long season. There's going to be a lot of games and there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. So just to try and keep a level head is, is what's going to be really important for me. Okay. Okay. So, you know, digging into this off season, you know, so you say instructs is kind of a way to talk to coaches, talk about what you're wanting to develop before, you know, you head back there to Florida for spring training, take us through this off season in terms of your development. What were some key things you were kind of putting that focus on? Just take us through that. Uh, yeah. As far as like mechanical stuff goes for me and hitting was, um, it was mostly lower half based. I just want to be sure that I keep a strong base and I'm not kind of drifting too far forward so that I can keep my head still. And, and then, like I said, just be short to the ball and, and recognize pitches and um, be able to wait longer before having to commit to a swing was, was important for me, especially with guys who are going to throw more, more off speed and more, they're going to try and get you to chase more. That's kind of the way that pitching is going. There's a lot of guys who throw pitches that are strikes to balls versus strikes to strikes and balls to strikes. So um, understanding approach and, and being able to read these pitch charts and understand what they're going to try to do to you and what you need to attack and look for was, was really important for me. Okay. So you get back to Florida there, you know, January, February, how did you put that development into play? You know, once you got going and started, uh, you know, maybe doing some inter-squad scrimmages and some actual games. Yeah, we so we got down here March 9th. It was kind of late uh, for me and then just kind of jumped right into the fire. We got some live at bats, you know, our first couple of days or whatnot. So um, just understanding, you know, get your best swing off. I don't, for me, I don't want to just sit there and watch pitches go by. I just for me, I got to get my swings off. Um, so it was good. We got to have a lot of at bats. You don't have to worry about only getting one or two a day. Usually you're lined up with five or six. So, um, you know, just because you miss one pitch doesn't mean that, that your day's ruined, right? You get more at-bats to try and, um, you know, hunt, hunt more pitches. And uh, we jumped in some, into some games We're here recently. I think we've got four or five now uh, with the one tomorrow and another one, I think, the following day. So um, just, you know, there's time to kind of lock it in and understand your approach. And, uh, yeah, but as far as that goes, so just kind of getting getting reps and understanding what the daily routine is going to be like, uh, develop your, your routine, what you need to do every day to, to feel your best, uh, whether that be cage work or maybe going to the cold tub the day before and um, recovering as okay. well. So for that routine, is it in spring training, is that somewhat similar to when you were in that complex league and same thing in terms of schedule-wise throughout that day? Or what exactly does that routine look like in spring training? No, yeah, I, I think it would be similar. I think uh, as far as like the weight room goes, we're roughly twice a week, two or three times a week, we're in the weight room. Um, and then, you know, your schedule every day is a little bit different. Sometimes you'll hit first, sometimes you'll do video first, sometimes you'll do defense first. Um, so as far as the hitting goes, like you got to have your own routine. For me, I, I know what I want to do off the tee. I know what I want to do off flips. And then we get to the machine. I know what I want to do. Um you know, but every, everyone's a little different. And then defense goes, you know, it's kind of, it's whatever the coaches have set up that day. So whether that be ground balls, fly balls, double play turns, you know, bare hands, slow roll, um, just kind of, you know, working on that certain fundamental for that day. Um, and then like going back to the weight room, you know, everyone's plan is a little bit different. Some guys, if they want to add strength, some guys, if they want to add speed, some guys, are trying to you know, work on, you know, if they had an injury, they're trying to recover from that and build, you know, muscle around a certain area. So um, a lot of it's individualized. I think that's a, that's a good thing with Houston, especially is that it's not cookie cutter. Um, everyone has their own plan. Um, and if you stick to it and follow it, you know, good things usually happen. So you kind of dig into it there, you know, dig it into, you know, Houston Nationals in general, obviously, you know, you look at it, you know, they're constantly, you know, in the ALCS constantly in the world series, 
from talking to some of my agent bosses, the Astros are one of those select four teams that they always want some of their players, you know, drafted to, um, mm-hmm. you know, with you going through it, kind of seeing the way that the Astros have built this culture, you know, what do you kind of think that is and how do they maintain that, you know, year after year, just being one of those top tier teams? Yeah. I mean, I think they understand what they want to draft and they're not going to usually draft someone that they think they need to change a ton about them in order to make them, you know, what they're looking for. So, you know, as far as it goes for pitchers, um, they're really big on spin rate and, and how well the the ball kind of stays true to its plane. So uh, as far as hitters go, I mean, they don't strike out a lot. You know, that's, that's their big thing is they don't strike out. Um, so they're not going to take a, a certain hitter that they think has a high probability of striking out a lot or they're not going to take someone they don't think that there's going to be a simple adjustment for them to, to not strike out. Um, you know, I think they've probably been top three in strikeout percentage or, you know, the opposite of not striking out in the league, you know, for however long now, since they've been on such a good run. Um, and then as far as development goes, I mean, they've had really good success internationally with their development. Um, you know, as well as, as domestically as well. So I'm excited to see the way things go and, and, and try to move up the ranks and, um, you know, become the best player that I can be. Okay. So as this season gets rolling, you know, you're probably finding out in the next couple of days, you know, where you're assigned to do start the season. What are, you know, some of those goals that you have for yourself for this 2023 summer? Um, I, you know, I haven't really set any goals numbers wise. I'm not, you know, I don't want to, worry about how many home runs I hit. I just want to go out there and try to be as consistent as I can. Um, try to put up some good power numbers as well as not strike out and, and walk a bunch. So obviously all these goals are, it's easy to say, and it's a lot harder to go do that. So, um, you know, I just want to just to keep the energy up and not worry about if there's an 0 for 10 slump, 0 for 20 slump. You know, I don't want to let things affect me. Uh, my mindset going into every game is that it's a new day. I'm 0 for 0, you know, bat at bat. And, you know, it's, it's my job to to try and find a way on base and, and to, to win a ball game. So that's re- really the biggest thing for me is, is every day is a new day. I'm not worried about a certain number or certain stat. All right. So digging into your actually on the field play, starting off, you know, on the def- defensive side of things. From looking at it, I see, you know, your corner outfielder also playing some first base. You know, as you continue on with your career, where do you kind of see yourself kind of sticking at? Maybe this spring training where you've been playing the most. Where's where's your mindset on that? Yeah, I've been doing a good mix of both. Um, I think it's always good to be as versatile as possible. I think a good example is Cody Bellinger. He kind of played first base one night, center field the next night, left the next night, go back to first, do whatever he needs to do to get in the lineup. So, as far as my mentality, I just I want to be as versatile as I can to uh, find a way into a lineup every night. Okay, so are you the type of guy that kind of wants to know, you know, quite a bit ahead of time of the game that, okay, you're playing first, you're playing left, playing right tonight, or when they put up that lineup card, you know, that's kind of that's kind of when you know for the first time? Uh, for me, I'd like to know just kind of before the game. If I'm going to play first base, I'd like to take, you know, my ground balls uh, that day during BP at first. Um, and then as far as it goes in left field and right field, I think it is nice to know beforehand just so you can shag and understand where the ball, how the ball's moving, um, understand your conditions, like the wall on the field that night, if it's got a, um, you know, you know how every outfield wall is different. So just kind of understanding where you're playing and um, it's nice to know that, you know, just before the game. Um, but for me, you know, like I said, just, just before the game, as long as I know where I'm playing, I'm comfortable with it. Okay, so in pro ball, like how far how far before the game gets rolling do you guys kind of know, you know, where you're playing that night? Uh, I think we had it pretty much the night before was kind of our schedule. So we finish a game, 7 o'clock game would usually finish before 10. Uh, we'd shower up, get back to the apartment probably around 11 and have a schedule right around then Okay, typically. Um, if not, it would be you know, like, hey – sometime next tomorrow morning you're gonna find out before you even get to the field so you know anytime is nice to know ahead of time okay so digging into the hitting side of things kind of take us through your hitting approach you know what's going through your mind you know you're in that batter's box you know looking watching that pitcher watching that guy in front of you just take us through that mindset and kind of what you're trying to do as you're walking up to that batter's box 
Uh, yeah, for me, I think it's always nice to know what his fastball is like. Some guys have, you know, fastballs that sink or cut or, um, you know, the term hoppy just kind of means it, it stays true and it rides up a little bit. So it's nice to know what his fastball is doing. It's nice to know his off-speed pitches and, and what he tends to use more. Uh, and then as well as what's his out pitch? What is he going to try and get me out with? Um, you know, what count does he use it in? Obviously, out pitches are usually with two strikes. Um, and then I like to just kind of, as far as charts go, understand where he's trying to pitch uh, left-handed hitters is, is more important for me. So, um, you know, as far as my swing goes, I'm, I'm always hunting fastballs unless, you know, some extreme circumstance tells me that I should hunt something else. Um, and then just uh, hunting mistakes as well. So pitches that are left up in the zone, um, fastballs that are left down the middle or somewhere that I can, I can handle and, and look to do some damage. So in pro ball, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of scouting reports on pretty much every pitcher you guys are facing. How is that information kind of, you know, presented to you guys, how far in advance are you guys, you know, looking at, you know, a certain starting pitcher, maybe some relievers before that given night? Uh, yeah. So we usually get a report sometimes the night before on who we're going to see the next day. Uh, I think it's really nice to see video. I think you can have all these charts and whatnot, but for me, video and understanding kind of what the pitch shapes look like sometimes just from center field is nice. Um, understanding kind of his release point and, and then understanding, um, you know, velocity, perceived velocity, um, understanding how his pitches move and, and what he looks, looks to do against batters is really nice. It's also good, you know, sometimes if you're not leading off, to understand how he pitches another left-handed hitter in front of you. You know, the chart may say that he's got a really good changeup, but if he's not feeling his changeup that day and he's going to go to the slider, it's, it's definitely nice to know that as well. Okay. So as we talk about scouting reports, let's dig into your personal scouting report. If you were a scout watching your game, what would be that personal scouting report that you would write up on yourself? <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm not quite sure. I don't think I want to give away too much here, but – um, you know, I think, you know, left-handed hitter with some power, decent run tool. Um, but for me, I think the baseball IQ is kind of where I tried to, uh, exceed the most understanding the situation and, and what the situation presents. If I need to move a runner over, I'm going to do my best to move a runner over. Um, but yeah, I understand what the pitcher does. And sometimes if, if it looks like a guy knows his scouting report, Maybe you need to try and go outside of what the report says to try and, and, and you know, blind sign him a little bit, I guess, in a sense. Okay. So digging into the mechanic side of things, take us through those mechanics, you know, from your load up to your follow through and kind of how that has uh, evolved since getting to pro ball and working with some of those Astros hitting coaches. Yeah, I think for me, I don't have too, too much of a mechanical swing. I think I just try and set up in a comfortable position. Um, for me, that's usually mm – -hmm just an ever so slightly um, my front foot is open just ever so slightly just to where uh, I feel like I can really load into my back hip and uh, I don't want to think about hands too much. I think uh, if I start thinking hands, my swing gets long and stiff um, and then along with the stiffness part, like I just want to stay relaxed and loose in order to, you know, be as quick into the zone um, and as long through the zone as I possibly can. Okay, so you talk about that baseball IQ. Was that something that developed while you're, you know, working with some of those great coaches there in the Canes organization? Or, you know, when exactly did, you know, the whole baseball IQ kind of come into play? Did you always kind of have that? Yeah, I feel like I've always had it. Um, but I think definitely playing in a high-level organization like the Canes has helped me for sure. Uh, just talking with coaches, understanding their thought process on, you know, maybe calling a certain play or, positioning ourselves in a certain way. Uh, it's definitely nice to be able to go through and, and understand the reasoning behind it. Um, but then another thing is just watching baseball. Like I, I really enjoy watching baseball. I think you can learn a lot from watching major league baseball and it's something that, you know, some guys might not do as much. Um, you know, but for me, just watching the game I play is something I've always loved and I feel like it's helped me a lot. Okay, so talking about the Canes, let's just dig through. You know, let's give this. Let's give the Canes some love. Take us through. You know, your whole experience. You know, playing under Gitson, Coach Petty, working with Jarrett, some of those different guys. Just take us through. You know, maybe how you got connected with that organization and what that experience was like. 
Yeah, I was I was connected with the Canes at a really young age. I think right around eleven or twelve was when I I played for my first Canes team. Um, that was with Brandon Lyles. Um, you know, obviously a great guy that has helped me kind of get through the whole process with the Canes. Um, and someone that I gave a lot of credit to, working really hard and um, helping things run smoothly. Uh, first time I played with one of their national teams was when I was fifteen. Uh, I believe was 15. I might've been 14 playing with the 15s. Um, you know, I think it was really good to be able to understand just the level of competition and expectations they have um, was really helpful. And then uh, was able to play with, uh, with Petty for the last couple of years, obviously someone who's been in the game a really long time and has a lot of feel for, you know, understanding, um, just understanding the game in general. He's got you know a lot of great coaching staff that he has by his side that he's not afraid to ask questions and, and always always be a learner, I think, is something that you need to go in there with uh with that mentality because there's a lot of a lot of years in baseball and a lot of years in coaching with that squad. So uh it's been really helpful. As far as gets and goes, I mean he's helped me a lot with the recruiting process when when that went through. So um a lot of connections, a lot of help. He's always he's, you know, he's quick quick to respond and and very helpful and obviously he's he's a great coach as well with I'm not even sure he's coaching now I think he's with the 14s but uh you know great group of great group of guys that are really out there just to help the players they're not there for themselves uh, but they're there to to help players and and help them with the next level yeah so you know playing for the Canes for so long you know you talk about Gitson Petty some of those other guys who you build great relationships with on the coaching side of things. But playing up there in that 2022 class, what were some of those players that you maybe bonded with the most or just built those strongest relationships playing with them for so long? Yeah, so um, a kid that was also on my high school team, Eli Serrano, he's at NC State now. He was a part of that of that Canes team. Um, you know, it was really good to have someone I already knew kind of going into it. Uh, other guys I play with, like Cole Young and Roman Anthony, um, some guys that are in pro ball now. Uh, I'm sure that they'd all have great things to say about the Canes. And, um, you know, it was great to kind of build relationships with guys. And uh, I'm going to be able to follow their careers for the rest of time now. And they're going to be able to follow mine. And, you know, we'll cross paths at some point and, and always have that special bond that we had when we were 17 years old playing, you know, in the backfields of Georgia. Okay. So, you know, you're a pro ball player right now. I'm sure you don't want to talk about high school too much. But again, you know, I like that Pro 5 Academy. So let's give them a little bit of love as well. What was that experience like playing for Pro 5 Academy down there in North Carolina? Yeah, for me, I mean, it was nothing but positive, especially during the times of COVID, kind of not knowing what was going to happen. Um, you know, I was able to connect with the coaches and, and hit with them in the offseason. And then, you know, COVID happened. So uh, I knew that I I felt really good with my swing and I knew that I wanted to be around them more. So I uh, was able to to work things out and go play for Pro 5 and, it's just it's it's different level of high school baseball, right? It's 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 a good preparation for the next level. You get to go through a schedule that would reflect, you know, college or pro ball, um, and you, as well as get to do it with a group of guys that have the same you know goals as you. A lot of guys, you know, you you don't go to pro five if you don't want to play baseball. You know, sometimes in high school ball, there might be guys who are just out there to have fun, which is totally fine, no problem with it, but. Um, you know, if you want to really take things seriously, you know, for me, that was the next step. Um, and I think that it really helped me develop my game and be able to play baseball every day was was great. Okay, so last baseball segment here, your agent selection process, like I said, you know, once I graduate from school, that's what I'm trying to be. So when I get a player like yourself on, I always want to, you know, have a couple questions here for you guys. So take me through that draft advisor slash agent selection process when was it that they started reaching out and maybe some key things you were looking for as you were selecting your guy yeah I mean I think that's it's kind of similar to the college um, recruitment process in, in a sense as far as you know the time frame goes um, you know they they might reach out really early for me you know, I was 14 15 years old I didn't even know you know what the purpose of an agent was at the time so I just kind of, I let them talk with my dad. He handled most of it. Um, and then it, it just kind of depends on the people you put your trust in. You know, I trust my dad with the world. So I knew that he was going to help me in this, in this process to understand, um, you know, who I might want to go with. Obviously he wasn't going to choose for me. 
Um, but I knew that I, I wanted his advice with that. Um, I sat down with a couple groups. Uh, and then for me, uh, Jet Sports and Hank Sargent, Andrew Lowenthal at the time with Jet Sports uh, were the guys that I wanted to go with. They were there to support me. And I knew that they um, had a good client base as well. And, and I knew that they would help me with deals and, and negotiations and whatnot, as well as, you know, they were great people, guys that I like talking to. Um, so I went with them. They're now, they merged kind of with Wasserman. So um, Wasserman Sports Group is, is where I'm with, um, with, with Andrew Lowenthal and Hank Sargent being uh, kind of my two main points of contact. I was gonna say I was gonna say with Jet Sports Management, I thought they were Team Wasp now. I uh mm-hmm. I follow Wasserman pretty well. They they used to have a Chicago branch, and I'm up here in Indiana, so um I follow I follow them pretty well. But mm-hmm. um so talking about communication, you decide who you want, you know, your couple advisors to be. What does that communication look like in terms of after you've decided how often before the draft are you maybe talking back and forth with your guy, and then now actually in pro ball with them, actually, you know, as your agents now. Well, like, what does that communication look like? How often are you guys, you know, just communicating back and forth? Yeah, I think, you know, pre-draft stuff, it was kind of just understanding, you know, what my worth was and what I wanted to do. And I had to kind of communicate to them like, hey, I, I want to play professional baseball. I want that opportunity. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, just totally pass up on college for, you know, next to nothing money. So um, just as long as you have a, a solid, you know, understanding of, of what you want um, and that they're going to represent you t- as to what you want. They're not going to represent you as something that you're not, if you, if that makes sense. Like if I say I want a million dollars and, you know, they just say, no, you, you shouldn't, I'm not going to tell you if you get this or whatnot. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be good representation. So uh, just kind of having trust in those people. That's why it's really important to build that relationship and trust. Um, and then as, as post-draft goes, um, you know, especially with gear and deals and whatnot, um, I partnered up with Mizuno. So that's kind of my, my main stuff as far as cleats, gloves, batting gloves. Um, that's a really, you know, good connection that they've had with a lot of their clients. Um, and I'm, I was glad I'm able to do that as well. So, uh, really anything gear wise and bats and whatnot, you go through your agent and, uh, it's good to have one that has a lot of connections early on. Okay. All right. So last segment here on the J-Care podcast, digging in more to, I guess, rapid fire, more personal side of things, talking mm-hmm. about passions beyond the game of baseball. You know, maybe you're stressed out a little bit, maybe going through a slump, need to get your mind away from the game. What are some of those other things you enjoy doing? Uh, for me, I, I I really enjoy golf. I think it's fun to to kind of go out there and spend a couple hours with some friends. I think you know, I can't take it too seriously because if I try and take golf seriously, you know, I'm not very good. Um, it might just end up making things worse, you know, for me. So I just kind of go out there, have fun, um, enjoy the quality time with some friends and family. Um, but for me, golf is, is definitely the go-to. Okay. So on the motivation side of things, you know, what is it that helps you get out of bed every morning, go get better, continuously evolve as a ball player, as a person as well? What are some of those, just, just some of those internal motivations that you got? Uh, for me, I just, I just think about how badly I want to be a big leaguer and, and live that lifestyle. I just, I want to go out there um, in Houston every single night and, and play in front of, you know, 30, 40,000 people and um, be able to kind of live that big leaguer lifestyle and, and enjoy the game while, um, you know, still competing to win a world series. That's, that's one of my biggest goals uh, in baseball is to win a world series and, um, you know, I think for me, if I, if I just think about making it to the big leagues, I won't, I'll lose focus of, you know, what my, my main goal is and that's, and that's to win a world series. So, um, you know, you, you gotta want it really bad and understand the process. <clears throat> Excuse me. You gotta understand the process that it takes to get that position. Okay. So with that motivation, you know, making it to the big leagues, winning that world series, with the Houston Astros, perfect picture of your life, 20 years down the road, 2043, I'm assuming you will be what 38, 39 years old. You know, what mm-hmm. is that perfect picture of your life 20 years down the road? Oh, <laughs> I don't even know the perfect picture tomorrow, man. I, you know, um, obviously, you know, just financially want to be able to make sure that my parents don't worry and um, you know, can support myself and a family. Um, you 
you know, obviously I, I still want to, to be able to kind of give back, you know, in baseball. I know, you know, a lot of guys like Jeff Bagwell are, are hanging around spring training and they're helping the organization that did so much for them. Um, and they're trying to help the next generation of baseball players. And that's something I've always been interested in as well. Okay. So I got two more questions here for actually three. So you mentioned Jeff Bagwell. Are you, have you been, have you had conversations with Jeff before? Yeah, yeah, he's around spring training all the time in the cages and at first base and helping out. Okay, so when you are talking to a guy like that, I believe he is in the Hall of Fame, you know, with him just being an Astros legend, you know, what are some different ways you're picking his brain with just all the experiences he's had? Yeah, I mean, he's someone who's gone through, you know, every level of baseball. He's gone through a lot of ups and downs. Um, And like you said, being a Hall of Famer is someone that, you know, you could definitely trust with what they have to say about baseball and hitting, so – it's good to kind of understand his approach and understand, you know, sometimes a lot of the the real versus feel stuff, what he was thinking at the play versus what actually happened. And, um, you know, his mentality and approach is, is always something that can help anyone get better for sure. Okay. So final two questions here. I'll just ask them both at the same time, more, you know, away from everything, more funds type of stuff, I guess. Go to playlist, mm-hmm. and then the final question: Dream endorsement brand beyond Mizuno. We already know you got that. So beyond Mizuno, mm-hmm. what would be that dream brand plus? You know your go-to playlist. Okay, um, go-to playlist. I'm a big little baby fan. That's for sure. Um, that's definitely the go-to. And then uh, dream endorsement. You know, I'm not quite sure, man. I gotta think. Um, I think some of the, like the video game stuff is pretty cool. Like I kind of like the the um some of the team ups with like Call of Duty and and their skins and um I know Fortnite does it a lot. I'm not, you know, 100% interested in that, but I think some of the the mashups between um some video games would be pretty cool. Okay, so you see maybe in the future we'll see Ryan Clifford running around uh, in Call of Duty have a have his yeah. own character. Some Warzone, that'd be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? They got Messi and some other guys in it, so, you know, why not? Okay, there we go. Well, that's the final question here on the Jake Care Podcast. You know, super appreciative of you coming on the show. Give me some of your time. I know you got a busy season ahead of you, so, you know, good luck. You know, I, whenever, wherever you get assigned, best of luck the rest of this season, rest of your career as you go play for the Houston Astros here in a couple of years, maybe go win a couple World Series. Uh, just best of luck the rest of your career, man, and, and thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you.